powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Saul. Right, we can get to our most intriguing Seahawk list uh, here in just a moment. Just want to keep reminding you, uh, sort of a little different schedule today. Jerry Depoto going to be on at 9 o'clock instead of 8.30, uh, so just a little bit different today. I got a text here from the 425. Hey, please ask Depoto what kind of a something trades away their veteran lockdown closer, a leader, right in the middle of a playoff run in exchange for a couple of project bats. All right, well, I don't know if I'm phrase it quite that way, but uh, I did write about that last night. If you want to read a potential answer to that question, you can go read it. SeattleSports.com wrote about it last night. And I don't know, sometimes writing helps me, Brock, figure out what it is I actually think. And yep. so uh, we can dig into that a little bit here at 830. Right now, though, we are on to number seven. Number seven is a guy that I've just been high on since the moment he was drafted, and uh, maybe I am too high on him. Maybe I have him a little bit higher in my most intriguing ranking than I should have. Certainly, when asked who the most intriguing of the young pass rushers was, who did K.J. Wright say? Daryl Taylor, and I've got Boye Mafe ahead of him. I got Boye Mafe at number seven on my most intriguing list. Now, let's also bear in mind that right now on the depth chart, Boye Mafe is ahead of him. He is starting every single practice that I've seen opposite Chenonuosu on the other side as one of the starting outside linebackers. And why? Well, because he's come back in year two ready to go. Mafe probably appears to be like the most improved guy from last year. He, 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 at this time, it's really early, but he's shown so many bright bright moments out here, uh, run and pass. And uh, if you if you talk to Boye, which you may after this, uh, he'll tell you the difference between where his mind is right now compared to last year. He, he can't even imagine how he played last year. You know, there was, he, he felt like he knew so so little compared to what he what he's aware of now. So um, that's the sophomore jump you're talking about. He's really made it, and so I'm hoping that it'll continue. And uh, right now, he's he's battling to be one of the featured rushers as well as be a featured guy in early downs too. So um, he's doing great. I think that's a really huge praise. And I I just keep going back to the scouting report, Brock, things you told me, other people said when they drafted him, which was unbelievably talented, high end in terms of athleticism, size, strength, speed, et cetera, but hasn't played a lot of high level football and, and just needs to learn the game and doesn't necessarily have the best instincts for the game. Well, if he's figuring out some of how to play the game and it's improving his instincts along the way, you're talking about a guy who could have a huge, huge impact on what this defense looks like. Pete's not the only one excited. His defensive coordinator, Clint Hurt, pretty excited about the same jump. I always want to see the big jumpers from year one to year two. With guys with understanding, this is kind of stuff I was talking about with run defense, and Mafia has started to show that. Uh, with coming along with that and starting to see things and taking the shots and, and whatnot. So that, that part has been really good to see. It's, it's been encouraging. So when I see him keep growing, I expect big things out of him. Yeah, I, I just, he's looked amazing in practice, Brock. He's been a standout every time I've been over there. Combine that with how he looked in the preseason game where I thought he was the best player on the field for a while. Combine that with his scouting report and where he's at right now. Yeah, I, I am I am probably overly excited for this year for Boy Mafe. 6'4", 261. Remember, he ran 4'5", 3, and jumped 38. So how does that compare to Daryl Taylor? Uh, Daryl didn't do any of that running and jumping at the combine. Because oh, he was hurt. Because he was hurt. So Daryl, as I said to you earlier, is 6'4", 267, with a little longer arms than Boye. I don't, I don't know if he was a 4'5", 338. Probably. I mean, he's close. He's... It, 
they're off the bus dudes, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just in the supply chain as, as you look at high school kids and then on the college kids. And, and then, you know, you, you get that little filter, right? And you look at the odds of, hey, man, what's, what's the percentage of kids that are playing high school football right now? They're in training camps all over the country. And then you filter down. Okay, now what, what are the college kids? 132 of those plus all the D1, AA, and D2, D3, NAIA programs. And you filter down. There's just not many that have that kind of, as I like to say, clay to, to mold. Uh, let me throw this back at you. Going outside the box question. You can keep that music rolling too. Do you have a couple people that you have met in your life where you would say, man, their brain processes things at levels others can't? Yes. It's it, we, we don't talk about that enough in this game of football. We do with quarterbacks. Talk about it all the time. Oh, this guy processed and seeing the game. He's got it. He doesn't have it. We don't, we don't realize how many other positions. Yeah. And Richard Sherman. Time. Richard Sherman, we've talked about it. We talked about it at times with Mike B. We talked about it with Brandon Meebane. Certainly we heard that from KJ Wright, how quickly Meebane would process things yes. and call it out for the rest yes. of the guys. I think we talked about it with Cam and a few others as well. I was just saying to Molly at dinner last night after football practice, like, it's amazing. You could see it with 13-year-old kids. There's a few of them that right now, like, they've all gotten the same plays. They've all been handed the formations. And, but you just see some of them, they, they get in the huddle, call the play, and they're like, ha, ah, <laughs> what, what do I do? Like, come on, bro. You know, I, I, we've done this now 10 times, right? But the, that brain process, and that is where when I listen to Pete, I listen, and heck, to, to Boye himself talk about, you know, the jump from one to two. Play Boye when he was on with us, talking about the difference between being a freshman and sophomore. Uh, for me, I personally think it's definitely night and day. Uh, you know, I definitely notice a big difference, you know, in the how I see the game, how things move for me. It's slowing down for me now. And, I mean, it's really, you know, over the time, I've just gotten more comfortable being on the field, being in the, you know, in that situation. So I've definitely noticed a big difference, a big jump. <laughs> I was trying to figure out <laughs> when Pete started down the road of, oh, I was listening to somebody talk about sophomore slump. Was that, I was like, oh, gosh. You said a, it the other day. Was that us? But then it he, wasn't me. No, but I then think he, it was you. Well, but I don't think mm. it was. I, I think he was reading it out or I don't know. He at least softened it as, as after he said it mm. to go. I don't believe in a sophomore slump. I think it was you. To me, it's a soft jump or sophomore bump. What are we talking about here? <laughs> You said about somebody, as long as he doesn't have a sophomore slump, he should be fine. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's what Pete was referring to, but I think that's what you said the other day. Oh, I think so, too. Maybe, maybe it was. But that's not know. an insult. I mean, you weren't. I think it was about Tariq Woolen, but it could have been somebody else. You're like, hey, as long as they don't have a sophomore slump, this guy's going to be unbelievable. You weren't, you weren't suggesting he was going to have that. But I'm also, I'm also suggesting he, there's a reason there's a term for it. A sophomore slump because right. history tells you that once expectations are set and they're set high and you think you can rest off your laurels and, and live in that place that, yeah, there's been plenty of story written across all sports at a lot of different ages, collegiately and professionally, that that second year, there's a bit of a wake up call. I mean, let's remember Rocky. Rocky was on top of the world. It's true. And, and Clubber Lang said, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, that oh, wasn't really, a sophomore son. slump. It was really a third 
your junior. That was Rocky. Well, maybe we're going to go to like Julio start to this year. The one and two, remember. Let's go to Rocky three. That's (laughs) usually the best ways in Rocky three. Rocky one and two are largely all Apollo Creed, so I'm lumping those two Uh, together. Okay, well, it still seems like Rocky three would be an odd way (laughs) to discuss a sophomore slump. Yeah, maybe Julio would be a better way to. That's exactly. I mean, just one idea. Well, that's actually who I said. I mean, just one idea. When I compared a sophomore slump, that's just it's just one thought. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go with this. But now Julio's in a sophomore bump right now. Baby, he's is that where your right Hulk Hogan now. impression came from that I heard you did when you were in the high school locker room? Yeah, that's a pretty good impression. <laughs> was it from uh, from Rocky Three? <laughs> uh, no, no, that was more of my WWF days okay. back in the day. Just checking. So. All right, there you go. That is our number seven most intriguing Seahawk. It is Boye Mafe. I am pumped about him. I mean, I really am excited about what the edge of this defense looks like, and specifically him and Hall mm-hmm. and and obviously Nuoso. I don't know whether Nuoso is even on our most intriguing list because I don't think he's that intriguing. I think he's a solid, fantastic, awesome player, and it's not an insult to me that mm-hmm. he's not on here. I just feel like I have a pretty good sense now of who he is after watching him play last year. But I I feel like Boye and 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 Hall that the sky's the limit for those two guys. Yep, pretty freaky athletically, man. Now put it together and process that game. Slow it down so I can see formations. I can look at the tackle. I can look at their stances. A year ago, boy, is just trying to figure out where to line up. And now he's starting to figure this game out and use those tools, man, to be a difference maker. All right, I tell you what, we'll come right back, give you everything you need to know. Early Mariner game today, and we've already got a lineup out in front of George Kirby, so we'll tell you what that looks like coming up next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. need to know 15 minutes past every hour with brock and salk here's what you need to know up first well, mariners win another close one last night it's nice to see that record in one run game starting to turn in their direction of course it shouldn't have been a one run game but matt brash decided to give up a mammoth shot in the ninth inning to make it a little closer than you would have liked but you know what they won and julio did his thing and he had four more hits and overall they utilize their roster the way it's supposed to be used. I think Scott's enjoying having a little bit more athleticism there. I think our, our roster is more well-rounded right now. I have uh, There's more pieces that you can plug and play, so to speak, late in games with matchups. Um, and the fact that these guys can play multiple positions, whether it's outfield, infield, you know, it's Demo, it's Cabby, it's Haggerty. And on top of that, they're all really good base runners, which helps put pressure on the opposition and creates runs. And Dylan Moore tonight, huge, steals a base takes a, a chance on a ball down the line, and that guy's got some kind of arm. We saw it play out tonight. Um, but having those athletic-type players really helps late in games. It did start to remind me a little bit more of what this team looked like when it started yep. rolling last year. You remember mm-hmm. how upset we were when Haggerty got hurt at the end of the year? It wasn't just because mm-hmm. of his bat. Mm-hmm. It was because of the way they pressurized the opponent. And so you look at the roster lineup now for today as they play at 11-10 with George Kirby on the hill. Julio center, of course, Suarez at third, France at first, Teo's going to DH. Dylan Moore plays second. He's been on a little bit of a heater. Uh, Perhaps you know the name Brian O'Keefe. He is going to be the catcher today because Tom Murphy was placed on the IL. Day game after night game. Cal needs a rest. And then Caballero at short. Marlowe in left. Haggerty in right. So just finding different Mm -hmm. ways to utilize all. I mean, it's like he's got more scat backs now. Yeah, we got to come up with something new. I mean, last year it was snapbacks for those two, for Dylan and for Sam. And now you, you run like five deep. Now like that you, you run out Marlowe and Haggerty, oh, you already had Marlowe and uh, 
Caballero Canzone. and Canzone. Yes. Well, there's a lot of dudes that can run around. Yes, they can. Julio can run around. It is a lot of speed. It's a lot of pressurizing. And we made this point, I don't know, a week, two weeks ago, about how this team, the last few years, tends to play pretty well as the year goes on. Why? What's maybe a major part of that? How about youth? How about youth and speed and athleticism that you get through these dog days and you're playing like right now a, a 4A Royals team? Certainly got talent on the front end of it, but 4A pitching Royals team in front of nobody in that. Like you need exuberance, man. You need youthful enthusiasm. You need some speed. And nice to see them take an extra base here, an extra base there. Salk, there was traffic every single inning of that game yesterday. And I sure hope there is today so they can take three or four from these Royals. Well, they did get uh, nice help in the standings yesterday. The Astros won, but everyone else lost. Rangers, Blue Jays, Yankees, Red Sox all lose. So the Mariners uh, head into the day six and a half behind Texas, only one behind Toronto. But they're tied up in the loss column. So essentially they've caught them because they would control their own destiny uh, if that were to be the case right now. Four behind Houston, two ahead of Boston. So that's the situation. 11-10 start this morning. Here's the second thing you need to know. Blasted practice yesterday, just kind of watching the team. Offense had itself a really nice day in the heat and without pads on, it kind of favors them anyway. Uh, but it was cool to see Brock, your guy, Ken Walker, who's still not really practicing fully, but was out there. And as soon as Charbonnet had a big play, he was charging out after him. And just, you know, that togetherness, so important. Geno Smith mentioned it right afterwards. Uh, I would say our togetherness. I would say... Um you know, we're competing our butts off. It's been a lot, as you guys can see, man. Guys are going after one another every single day, offense versus defense. You know, coach puts us in position to compete. But uh, there's a brotherhood and a love for one another on both sides of the ball. And we're all working together. And that's something that, um, you know, I really I really enjoy. You know, everyone enjoys coming to work, enjoys having fun with the guy next to him. And it makes for, you know, a really good environment. So I think that's the thing I look look forward to the most every day. Yeah, last year, this team didn't know each other. They didn't know whom they were. It was full of a lot, a lot, a lot of rookies who ultimately got thrown right into the deep end and, and had to swim right away. You didn't know who your quarterback was. You are trying to assimilate all of this young talent. Who are you? This group knows who they are. Mm-hmm. And you've heard a lot of that conversation. DK's probably the front of the line going, yeah, man, I learned what I was and what I wasn't as a leader. And it is sure nice to have Quandre, sure nice to have Bobby, sure nice to have some of these other voices this year, and sure nice to have stability at the most important position in the NFL, and that's quarterback. Here's the third thing you need to know. They also have a lot more talent, which generally is a good thing, right? You want to have as much talent out there as possible. But KJ making the suggestion yesterday that with all of that talent concentrated in a couple of position groups, maybe you've got too much there. And specifically in the secondary, if guys believe rightfully that they are starters and they're not out there getting the playing time they want, could it lead to some friction? And what would the coaching staff need to do in order to get them through that he also mentioned another way of alleviating that pressure which is trading somebody in order to help somewhere else on your team and he's got a guy in mind 100% Mike Jack and we look at Mike Jack played well last year a guy that surprised a lot of people but when you look at Mike Jack he's not he didn't get drafted here he's not quote-unquote mm. like one of those guys that John Snyder and Pete Carroll invested in they invested in Trey Brown third round pick they invested in Witherspoon they invested in Kobe Bryant Like, these are our guys that we drafted. These are guys that we paid. These are the guys that we are going to put on this football field and take this new era. So that matters? A one million percent. And by the way, I think he's a fourth-round pick, right? Not a third-rounder. I got that one wrong. But you get get the point. Um, Do your homework. You buying that? 
Uh, I'm buying Mike Jack as the most value. If you're going to get value back, right, in all of these trade conversations to the Paul Seawald one, right, that a lot of folks right now are chirping about because the ninth inning has become a really big deal. But you have to trade value to get value. You can't trade scraps. and uh, I mean, you can, and you can get conditional seventh-round picks. But if you're going to get somebody that's played and been a starter and, and, and been a good player in this league, which is really what you're looking for to round out your D-line depth and the inside – you're not you're not going to get you know a a pro bowler, mm-hmm. but how about somebody that started? How about somebody that can come in and hold the point? How about somebody that's got a little bit of experience? So finding that dance partner, I think, will be part of the conversations management has behind the scenes over the next couple weeks. All right, that's everything you need to know, and we do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Uh, did I? Do you notice the uh, huge smile I've had on my face all day? I haven't really heard you talk about it, but I've been in what I would describe as probably the best mood I've been in in four months. Wow. Couldn't be happier, and uh, mentioned oh, it to start yeah. the show today. What a night I had last night. Just yes. so much fun. I got the opportunity because I, uh, you know, our dog Wendell passed away four months ago, our French bulldog. And uh, to say I've been missing him is not even like not even a fair way of describing it. But I had met this uh, nice woman and her French bulldog who had just moved into our neighborhood and offered to do a little dog sitting anytime she needed. I basically tripped all over myself to give her my number and say, (laughs) and then like Colin Paisley. Yeah, pretty much. And then Uh over the course of the next few weeks. I started kind of ripping her at home. Like, I can't believe this awful woman hasn't texted me yet to take care of her dog. And uh, obviously I was joking. But yesterday she did. And so uh, the dog came over last night for three or four hours. And uh, we just had her hanging out at the house. She made herself at home, plopped herself right down on the couch and, uh, you know, did nothing, which is exactly what you're looking for out of a Frenchie. So, So dude, it was so awesome. I was so happy. I loved it. um, Personal question. Yeah. Have Have we thought about? Another dog? Yeah. Yeah, we've talked. Yeah. Not ready. No. Not ready yet. I think it's going to take me a year. Yeah. I think in in a year I'll be willing to start having that conversation, but I think i got to get through a year partially out of uh, respect for Mm -hmm. Wendell and Mm -hmm. the 14 years that he Mm -hmm. gave us, and partially just like the responsibility. It's a lot of work having a dog more. This is perfect, right? I mean, this is a perfect process. I am absolutely ready for people to drop off their Frenchies at my house for a few hours and let me play with them. (laughs) Yes, 100% in on dropping the Frenchie off at my house. I'll play with your dog for a couple hours. You don't have to pay me a dime. Quite frankly, I'll give you 20 bucks if you want it. (laughs) I'm happy to rent your Frenchie for a few hours. But no, I'm not ready for a dog yet. Yeah, Not yet. Yeah, Need some time. Awesome. Well, I got three things. I know we got Jerry. We're going to move things around. Usually on Thursdays at 830, it's Jerry. It's going to be a half hour from now. I got three things okay. uh, because I'm on the road tomorrow. Three Gosh. Seahawks things? Yeah, three things okay. I'm looking for Saturday night. Okay. Yep, I got three very clear areas. I'll be in Missoula watching okay. the game, dropping Macy off. So here's what we've got. Brock is going to give you three things to look for on Saturday night, and I am going to say something that will probably infuriate you about the Mariners. It's coming up next on Brock and Salk. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. 
Jerry DePoto normally joins us at this time. Uh, he's a little delayed because of the schedule in Kansas City today. So we will talk to Jerry coming up in a half hour at 9 o'clock. Apologies if you were tuning in for that, but we will do it uh, and get the full interview with Jerry coming up in 30 minutes. That gives us a little more time to talk some Seahawks and also discuss a couple Mariners issues leading into Jerry. Brock, you said you got three things. You got game time the Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Seahawks game number two, taking on the Cowboys. Who were got into a big fight in practice yesterday. Yeah, did you see that? I did. Micah Parsons throwing little rabbit punches and stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm not a big fan of? Fighting. Teammates fighting. I'm not. I know Big Ray and Wyman and all the old school guys. I are, like pushing. Yeah. Punching? Yeah. A little bit different. You like uh, Deion Sanders? You see that clip? Prime time up in Boulder. Team gets in a fight. And uh, he brings the guys together because a couple of the guys didn't jump into the fight, and mm-hmm. he, he's screaming at them. One fights, we all fight. Jeez, oh, yeah. Like, oh gosh, it's just gonna be one heck. Of you a and Dion are not a good fit. No, uh-uh, no. Uh-uh. You, you guys are. Are you gonna have to do any of his games this year? Yeah. Oh, that'll be really. It'll interesting. be awesome. No, I you, love you and that. Dion are not a fit. I will love that, but I do not, and have never loved and condoned fighting. And I watched Tony Dungy the only two times, and. Two years with Tony, never swore once, raised his voice twice because he thought it was the most selfish thing you could do. You know, the opposite of what Gino said of a, of a team that's together and gets it. Compete your butt off, man. Push. You want to get in someone's face? Yeah, I'm going to have emotions flare, but to punch and fight. And I will never forget that day, you and I standing there side by side when Frank Clark came in and sucker punched. Oh, was a, oh my God. The worst thing I've ever seen. Jermaine Fetty oh. dropped him like a sack of potatoes. Oh. Truly the most violent, like bizarre, ter- not terrifying. That's not the Bro, right word. Bro, it was surreal. It was, it and was then it, nuts. It, yes, and then it was it Justin Britt tossing dudes over the bottom. I mean, it was awful, awful. Yeah, anyway. I like fighting. That was a cheap shot. Yeah, I'm not looking. In Hard Knocks the other day, they were having uh, some fights, and yep. Aaron Rodgers asked Al Woods if he'd have been any, in any of them, and he was like, yeah. Um, he's like, why? He's like, you know, just the stuff after the whistle. But I just, it's so weird. I didn't see, Al Woods wasn't yeah. even no. close to that here. Because uh-uh. Pete doesn't condone it. Pete doesn't like it. You know, I, I think Pete's a little bit more along the line. Hey, push it to the very, very edge. And if you even want to grab somebody or, as you said, kind of shove somebody. But to throw fisticuffs and risk breaking your freaking hand on a helmet and a face mask? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Dumb. Anywho, I'm not looking for that. Here's three things I'm looking for. I'm looking for Gino to play. I'd like to see Gino play a little bit. I'd like to just see him get a series, maybe two series, likely not going to play the third preseason game. So I'd like to just see him operate. I don't think it's ever that beneficial to just sit out the entire preseason. I think you need to feel some reps. I think it's okay to even get hit. I think you need to feel the tempo. Uh, we'll see whether or not the Cowboys starters play. He, he agrees with you, by the way. Gino would like to go out there and play. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to. Uh, I would love to play. Uh, like I said, anytime I get an opportunity to go out there with my guys, it's always a great, great opportunity. And uh, I love the game. I love to play. And so, um, you know, I'm looking forward to it, man. I can't wait to get out there. Have you ever had that before? I mean, I guess maybe you did in New York. Were you, you were the starter and didn't play in a preseason game? Kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like my entire career I've been, you know, out there. And um, a game's a game to me, you know. It's, it's all the same. Uh, everyone's out there competing. And uh, like I said, any chance I get to play with my teammates and go out there and try to score points with the guys, man, it's, that's, that's a part of my job, and I love it. I think one of the biggest jumps you and I, and we talked about this a lot during the regular season, saw from Gino 
or would have never imagined we'd see coming was just his movement and some of his getting out of the pocket and some of his playmaking mm-hmm. last year that was that was excellent. You referenced it with 300-some rushing yards. I would talk about the plays he extended and stepped up and stepped out and made shots down the field, those explosive plays that come from that. You, you need those reps, and, and it's game reps where you can actually get hit. <laughs> you know, it is just – it is a different game in practice when you know ultimately, like, yeah, I can get rushed, but I'm not going to get hit. It's different when they are actually fully live. So I would like, first and foremost, to see him play a little bit, get in a little bit of rhythm. How about anticipation with Jackson and, and see him maybe throw a third down pass his way. When and you so, say a little bit, what does that two mean? Two series. I'd like two series. Okay. And, and then maybe, what do you think next week? They're probably not going to play. So you yeah. want him to have a total of two series the entire preseason? Sure. And if it's more than that, that's gravy. If, it, if, if it's so more, crazy. I'm fine I mean, So that. I'm just trying to think back. So when they had four... Four preseason games. Generally, mm-hmm. you would get one series for the, the starters opener. on the opener. Yep. You would get a you, this is the way it used Usually to be. A quarter anyway. in the second, you get a quarter in the second, in, into the third, a and half third. in the third, yep. and then nothing and in the, the fourth. Third. Right. Correct. Now you've gone from what turned out to be you know a little over three quarters of game action yep. to two series, one quarter of game action. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. That feels like not enough. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, that's just me. I obviously sure. haven't played the game at that level, but I, that doesn't feel like enough to me. Well, that's where, you know, competition and practice matters. That's where ramping it up and, and, and getting after it in practice matters. And, and that is where you would hope his 17 games of starting last year under his belt matter. But yeah, I'd like to see him play. And you know what? I say not going to play in the third preseason game. If he plays another series or two in Green Bay, great. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind that either. In fact, that stadium will be loud. It'll be rocking. It'll be full. And it would be, you know, for some of the rookies to play with him, uh, maybe not a bad experience. Mm-hmm. So that, that's number one. Okay. Number two, uh, I'm, I'm looking for this continued competition on the back end. I want Mike Jack to have a pick. I want Trey Brown to have a you know two more pass breakups. I, I I want these guys on the back end to continue to play very 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 well. Now, you know maybe this whole conversation of trading Mike Jackson becomes a little diminished when your number five pick has a hamstring that continues to keep him out. <laughs> maybe it's like ah maybe that sounds great on paper, but I don't know. I mean, we were careful with Devin in the offseason. We ramped him up for a week. He, he hurt it again. He's going to be down, I don't know, two, three, four weeks. Do you trust that that hamstring is going to be now good the next 15 or 16 versus Mike Jack, who is there every game, game in, game out, physical, doing everything right, competing his butt off. So, yeah, I, I'm going to continue to eye because Dallas got some dudes now. Dallas has some people on the perimeter. I don't know if CeeDee Lamb's likely not going to play much and Dak's probably not going to play, but they've got depth. And they've got playmakers. And Mike McCarthy's, I think, a, a pretty good tactician of and game planner. And they've had an extended week, just as the Seahawks have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm kind of continue to have my eyes on the back end of that defense. I think Trey Brown didn't practice yesterday. I don't, I don't know if that was injury or what his deal was. I don't think I saw that anywhere. But I know he didn't practice yesterday, so I don't know whether he'll play on Saturday. And so, yep. you know, as you start thinking about that competition, all of a sudden, no Trey Brown, no Mike Jackson, or no uh, uh Spoon, you, know, you start sort of ticking down the names. You may see a lot of Boykin and some of the other folks mm-hmm. who uh, who have been out there a little bit. But I, I think I understand what you're saying. And and if this just allows Kobe Bryant to continue to shine and and show off what he's been able to do, yep. great. I mean, like I'm I'm all for that. And I, I kind of want to see Bobby play a series. Do you want to see Quandre play a series? I, mean, I feel like we Do you have see to, Julian don't we? play a series. I'm, I, yes. 
I do. Yeah. And I don't I don't like them playing a lot. You know me. I'm generally more scurred than anything else. Like mm-hmm. I'm the one who couldn't understand. But you're telling me the same Pete Carroll that had Earl Thomas returning punts in preseason isn't right. gonna have Bobby Wagner play a single series? Right. That would be talk about a complete one eighty. Yep. That would be nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to see Gino play more than those guys. Yeah, I, I think Gino can control by getting the ball out of his hand, protecting really? the yeah. same defense that all we heard about last year couldn't stop the run because they didn't communicate well. You don't think it'd be helpful for them to communicate it in a game? So Jaron, Dre, Bobby, Quandre, Julian, none of them played the opener. I mean, I'd like to see them play at least a couple of series just to work on that communicate. I don't know. Maybe yep. I don't have any idea. I don't know what it's really like and where the communication happens, mm-hmm. but it would sure seem to me like if you were going to 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 need to understand yep. how Where to communicate with each other, how it all fits together. Sure, it, it would be helpful to do it in live action. Yeah, so that's uh, certainly you know personnel wise, I guess more okay. than anything else, who's going to play is at the top of the list. Gino right there, the corners on the back end, and I will say one of the pleasant surprises and one of the little uh, just kind of foreboding or not foreboding, um, one of the better signs last year was the O line in the preseason. When we watch right from the jump and Brian Baldinger's making highlight films of Abe Lucas washing guys down and Charles Cross in the preseason, you know, just looking comfortable and athletic. I, the, Dallas is good up front. And you remember who their D coordinator is? Dan Quinn. And Dan Quinn knows D-line play and knows front seven play. And even if it isn't Demarcus Lawrence and Van Der Esch and all of their starters they and Parsons, they do have some depth there. I hope it's those guys. I hope it's their number ones on number ones. Because that group up front on that O line, yeah, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see. Speaking of communication, continuity, all of it. I'd like to see those guys. Well, play you mentioned well. communication and continuity. Gino was asked about him yesterday, and he used a different C word. Yeah, um, like I said, man, they they've grown. You know, they've gotten better. Uh, you can tell that. Um, you know, and they were always kind of ready for it, but you can tell. Uh, with their second year, they're just uh, even more confident. And so um, I trust those guys. We've played a lot of games together now, um, and, and they're going to continue to lead this offense. That offensive line is, uh, is really what pushes this offense to be what it can be. And, uh, you know, they're the leaders. And, you know, we, we need those guys to continue to step up and be great. And it's an everyday process. And so they're working at it and getting better. He's talking specifically there about the two young tackles. Sure. And, and those two young tackles last year played a lot. Remember, they played almost the entire – there was a game, I think Abe Lucas played the whole preseason mm-hmm. game. <laughs> so, you know, Pete is still – maybe with some of his more valuable business assets going to protect him, but his young people that he's got to learn about, you're going to play. And you got to compete. you got to be willing to get out there and cut it loose. And frankly, for those tackles last year, both of them, it got them conditioned to play an entire NFL game, which is very different than the college game. It may be less snaps, but every one of them matters. And it's against – the biggest and baddest grown men in the league. So, I, yeah, I'll be watching that O-line probably more than I did week one, uh, especially when Geno's in there and the rest of it communicating. But I'd like to see those guys play, you know, maybe an entire half. Yeah. You know, it's just, funny. For, just for, get the feels. For all of how much I would like to see some of those guys get in there a little bit and work on things, I don't really need to see much more Jackson Smith and Jig, but, like, there's a few guys where I'm like, sure. yeah, I'm good. I've seen yep. enough. Like, just uh, let Jackson go ahead and count himself a starter, and I don't really need to see him out there working on much of anything for a little while. I feel like that dude's just got it. He's yep. a natural. It comes, you know, really. DK and Tyler? 
Don't really need to see any of those three guys, honestly. And mm-hmm. I, and maybe you want to see, I guess, a series with Gino just to see what that looks like. Okay, fine. But yeah. I don't need to see much more than that. Like, yeah. I'm I'm not interested in a whole lot of, of seeing those guys out there with the risks at that position and, and how easy it is to get mm-hmm. injured. So, good stuff. Saturday night will be fun. Uh, if it's even half as fun as the first preseason game, then great. Because, as I said, I really, really enjoy I t- mentioned that to Pete. He seemed to agree with me. Yep. He thought that was a really fun game as well. It was just, mm-hmm. a, just a really fun watch great energy good speed good hitting good everything so yep. good stuff all right uh jerry's going to join us as we said coming up at uh, nine o'clock this morning uh, just a little schedule change because of uh, their early game 11 a.m game in uh, in uh, kansas city today i wrote last night about the whole ninth inning thing and, and trying to figure out if the mariners have a ninth inning problem do the mariners have a ninth inning problem it's pretty hard to argue against it but i do think it's complicated I don't think it's as simple as maybe it appears on the surface. Do they have an issue in the ninth inning right now? Yeah. Clearly, there have been five straight games where they've given up a run in the final inning. Right? I mean, like, Mm -hmm. you can't ignore that. Mm -hmm. Take out the George Kirby game where he went a complete game shutout or nine-inning shutout, and then Munoz gave up one in the tenth. I mean, they've given it up in the last inning of the last five games. And in one of those games, it happened twice. So, I mean, you're, you you clearly right now have a problem at the end of the game. And there's definitely an easy, you know, it's real easy to look at what happened a week earlier and say, uh, you traded Paul Seawald, now you have a ninth inning problem. Yeah, you talk about this, right? You've talked about this before. You'll hear certainly in football, so how should we move this guy to this spot and then it creates this movement of that spot and that spot. And you've, you've talked about... You got to be careful, man. When these guys develop some of their roles, you start moving a piece here, and one piece here affects that domino that's going to fall there. Yeah. So, all of a sudden, a bunch of guys are yep. in different roles. Yes. Now Brash is in a new role, and Munoz is in a new role. And by the way, they were both performing pretty darn well in their old roles, as was Sacedo, as was Topa. I mean, like, you were kind of humming. So, do they have a ninth inning problem? Look, I'm not going to argue with you and say no. That would be, you know, ridiculous right now the Mariners have a ninth inning problem how concerned am I about it maybe not as concerned as other folks are for a couple of reasons one it's a week I mean like baseball's up and down and yes it happens to be a week after they traded away Paul Seawald but it's also just a week and if there's an issue because Munoz doesn't quite have his velo and we'll certainly ask Jerry about that at nine o'clock or, you know, Brash had an off night. By the way, he got it done last night. I know he gave up the home run, but he had that margin for error. He was throwing strikes, which is what I want him to do. And then he retired the next three guys, one, two, three, no problem, including Wit. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to make some allowances that occasionally guys are going to have off nights. And if a few of them happened all at the same time, those things do occur occasionally over the course of a baseball season, especially when you're playing without your captain and your sort of calming presence in the middle of your infield and JP Crawford. You can't praise JP for all of the things he does to, to, to settle everybody down, et cetera, and then not expect to miss those things when he's not there. Mm-hmm. Like you just can't it's have Bob that one Stilton both ways. Say, you can't have it both ways. You can't Michael. do both of those things. Mm-hmm. You can do one or the other, but you can't do both. So yeah, if we're going to sit here and say JP does all of that, I'm willing to allow for the fact that maybe part of the problem Munoz has had in a few of these games is that they didn't have their binky at shortstop. Like, I I get it. And oh, by the way, in one of those Munoz blown saves, all three of the the runs were unearned. 
because there was a terrible error made by the second baseman that unfortunately yep. allowed everything else to go down. Yep. So I, I do think that there are there are some there are excuses. There's no doubt, which is why I'm not arguing with anybody who says they've got a ninth inning problem because they kind of do. Mm-hmm. But I don't know whether it's one that is as simple as Paul Seawald is gone and this is now going to be the issue they've got. Yep. I also think there's some pretty simple ways to fix this. Now, first of all, short term, I think you got two two choices. One, you can go back to what you used to do, which was closer by committee, where sort of everybody had their own pockets and roles, and nobody came in for the ninth inning unless that was their turn. Yeah, but that supposes and presupposes that your starter gets through six or seven and kind of sets the table for all of that up. It's so true. you can move those pieces around a little bit versus a starter going five and on one day, just one day, mm-hmm. what that can do to that plan over a series changes it fairly dramatically. Absolutely. So the other option, and this is what I wanted them to do, I think I said it right after they traded Seawald. I would like to see Matt Brash back in his regular role. Bring Brash in in the seventh and eighth when your starter is on his last legs and you're trying to get one or two more outs or Spire's giving something up or whatever, and you need somebody to get yourself out of a jam. Go to the best strikeout guy you've got, and that's Matt Brash. Okay. He seemed comfortable in that role. He he doesn't always I, I know there are people who are frustrated with Brash this year. I had somebody text the other day. It was like mm-hmm. Brash's been terrible this year. Mm-hmm. Nope. Started no, slow. Started slow, like a bunch of the guys. Started bit. slow, but since the All Star break has been pretty nails. But you know that there's another side of that salt that says with that stuff and if mm-hmm. he commands, he can be a lights out Edwin Diaz closer. And maybe next year that's something you want to take a look at. But I don't know that I want to mess with what he's been doing, which is getting you out of big trouble earlier in games. Okay. And I think that is valuable. Okay. Munoz, first of all, you got to figure out what's going on with him. Why is his velo down? Why is the slider not look as sharp? But assuming those things come back, kind of liked him in the eighth. Kind of liked him mm-hmm. doing what he was doing. And maybe he doesn't have the ninth inning mentality. I don't know. Maybe that's something we'll find out about. And if you can keep those two guys back in their old role, I would suggest Justin Topa, at least short term, to go out and play the Paul Seawald role because I think he's pretty good at it. I think he reminds me of Seawald a little bit. He might actually have better stuff than Seawald. And let him go out there and see if you can like just have him get those last three outs. You know what else he is? A little older. A little more mature. Been around the game a little bit longer. And maybe that's helpful instead of throwing these two basically, you know, really young guys, second year players in yep. Munoz and Brash out there and kind of throwing them to the wolves a little bit. Yeah, in the middle of a of a of a playoff chase, forty two games to go. And I and I don't know, I'm sorry I did not read your article this morning, but I I'm gonna guess as well, maybe as a subtext to that was and in case yep. or if we get to a point where Wu is healthy and Emerson, Emerson continues to grow and you do have that extra mm-hmm. arm, right? We'll talk with Jerry about this. He had mentioned a six-man rotation maybe here. You only you got, not only, it's still 42 amazing games to go, but do you get to a point in September you might. where all of a sudden, yeah, we can go back to five-man and we will put Bryce, who is lights out. First time through any lineup, those numbers are extraordinary. Yep. Wu. Versus righties, you want to talk about a pocket? Yep. And if he's got to face righties and the best righties, doesn't matter. Well, and you get to the playoffs, both those guys are in your pen. I I mean, I think that's what's really interesting about this team is all of a sudden you start throwing a righty specialist in Wu into your pen and then Bryce Miller. Of them, of the three young guys, including Hancock, Miller's the only one who's done any relieving in his career. Not in the pros, but obviously he's he's done some work out of the pen in his career. And if... 
the Topa thing doesn't go well or none of these ideas really work and you do still manage to find your way to the postseason or even into late September, yeah. I'd think real long and hard about throwing Bryce Miller out there and yeah. let's see what that that stuff plays like in one inning got, at the end of the game. You know, just I've got one overriding thought, you know, through this conversation and some of those pieces you bring up. And it's back to Bob Stelton. Can't have it both ways. Okay, can't have it both ways. If we know there is no substitute for experience, then don't we have to see Mooney and Brash in these experiences? I mean, don't we have to see them? Isn't that part of it as well? Why? That you clear a path. Be, be, because what if they're tremendous? What yeah. if they're excellent at it? What if they well, and, own and that it? may be why they did it for the first week or so here. Yeah, but 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 is one week enough? Is one or two outings enough? Or do you want to give them here, and especially in this 16-19 to 19 game stretch where you're going to face some people that you should score runs, that you should hit, don't you want to give them that before September? When it gets back to the behemoths, when it gets back to Texas and and in um, in the people you're competing and looking up to in the standings, like I kind of want August here. Give me these guys. If I've cleared a path for them and I've given them this opportunity, I've got to give them. And if there's no substitute yeah. for experience and time on task, don't I got to see if they Here's take why ownership? I disagree with that. I, I like your point, and I think you're right in terms of again, managers take a long term view of things and tend to do that where they're willing to take their lumps at times in order to discover what else they're you know need, may need down the line. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. Here's I just think that what Brash and Munoz were doing was just as important and valuable. Okay. Like I don't think the ninth inning is more valuable. You don't think those final three outs are more difficult? I didn't say that. I just don't think it's more valuable. It may be more difficult, but I don't think it's more valuable. Yeah, I do. I think coming I in in the seventh inning when you've got men on first and third and one out and striking both guys out is enormously valuable. And I think the value that that brings may very well overtake the value, not the difficulty, but the value of mm. getting those three outs in the ninth. Coming in in the eighth against the hottest pocket of an or of a of a lineup and getting three, four, five, and then leaving you know six, seven, eight or something for the for the guy coming in in the ninth. Mm. There's a lot of value in doing those things. There is. There is just something different, and I'll just and that something different is not just a cliche. Mm-hmm. It, it is the reality that there's no extra ups. Absolutely, <laughs> that this is it. When it's the bottom, it, you know, or the top, and this is it. My my offense is not getting another chance. But if that's the case, shouldn't it have been different in at home? I mean, most of those blown saves were at home. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't I mean you do have another up at home? Shouldn't it be less pressure to do it? I mean, like, I'm not disagreeing with you. There, there does seem to be a little bit different feel to it. And and I don't know whether Brash or Munoz are going to end up being the right personality type because it does seem to take some specific personalities. It to does. Close. And I would also say but this. I don't know that it's any more valuable. Well, I would say this, too. It's a little as you build those plans, right? It's a little bit like a field goal kicker. Is, is that field goal in the third quarter to put you up, you know, at that critical time to pay off that drive? Unbelievably valuable. Yes. Yes. How about at the very end of the game, though, when you've written the whole script, when you've you've emptied the bullpen, when you've written the script. And oh, by the way, written the script not just for that game, but the impact it will have then on the next day's game if Mooney's got to throw 47 pitches. You're you're so very right about all that. So I don't mean to poo-poo it. I'm not telling you that there's not enormous value or importance. I think we just tend to undersell the roles that Brash and Munoz were in. And at times, that may be a touchdown that you score in the third quarter or early in the fourth, which may be as valuable as a kick late in the game. So 
I don't man. It's a it's a crazy sport, and we it's could be sitting here next week having a completely different discussion about their problems somewhere else. So yes. that's just sort of how <laughs> this thing goes. Beauty of one sixty two, baby. Right. If you want to go read my thoughts on it, it is at seattlesports.com. Jerry Depoto joins us next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on seven ten.